Last week we started a new series because uh, vacations are pretty much uh, over with, kids are back in school, and, and in this series we're talking about reconnecting with God. And like I said last week, it's not that people aren't born again or anything like that, but there, a disconnect happens when people go on vacation. It's, kind of, it's wild. I've noticed this in the, in the whole 23 years I've been in the ministry, is people disconnect with God during vacation. It, it, because of activities and stuff like that. So they get out of, out of routines. They get out of, you know, maybe if you read the Word every day, you know, they, they, you know, that whole vacation time, they're just kind of vacationing. It's like they take a vacation from the Word. You know, it's crazy, but this is kind of how we think. You know, even you know, like my pastor, you know, I, we were talking one time uh, when I was working for him, and um, I asked him which, which church he went to when he was at Myrtle Beach. Uh, going to beach. He goes, well, I didn't go to church. I said, what? I mean, you know, I went on vacation. If, I, if it was a Sunday, I was, we were going to church. It, that was it, right? And I asked him, I said, well, why, don't you, why didn't you go to church? He said, well, he said, it's not that I'm kind of trying to back up from church. He said, but I'm not trying to figure out what, what's a good church and what's a bad church and then get all messed up by going to a church and get mad at the message that was, that was given and then be jacked up all day long. I said, man, that makes sense. You know, because you do, you, you don't, when you're vacationing someplace, you might not know where you're going, and it's not, they're, they're, they're not good people or whatever, but sometimes there's something that gets said, especially for someone who teaches the word, and, it, and it's not challenging, it's just wrong. You know, when you go to a church and, and they're telling you how you're going to hell, I'm not going to hell. I don't need somebody to tell me I am. And how do I know? Because what the Bible says. Because I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I'm not going there, and I don't need somebody to scare me. I need someone, the Bible says, that we need to be encouraging one another, giving people hope, because the world already knows they're in despair. They need to have hope. And if we can give them hope, then they get a future. But there's so many churches out there, they have that all messed up. And they've never really, you know, from my understanding of reading the Bible, they never really read the words of Jesus the words of Paul, because they always go back to the Old Testament where God was doing some things to people. They forget that, that Jesus came and paid that price so God didn't have to do things to people anymore. Now, there will be a day at the end when people have to come before him, and that day, if, if you did not accept that price that he paid, then you uh, go straight to jail. I mean, you, you don't pass go, you don't collect your two hundred dollars. You're you're locked up, and there's no card to get you out. Okay, that's the truth, but that's not the message. The message is the price was paid in full. Your sin that was past, present, and future, and it's a good thing you took care of your future because what you did today would probably send you there anyway. So then we went into this. We said we started last Sunday. We started praying for 21 days. And if you haven't, don't, don't feel bad. You can start today. But for 21 days, we're praying. And this is what we're seeking God for. We're seeking God to pray for. We're praying for our families. We're praying for our church. We're praying for our government. And we're praying for our missionary and missionaries. But our missionary that we support is John Smithwick. But we're praying... In, the, in these areas right here, and if you only pray 30 seconds, great. Do something. Connect your heart with your mouth and, and just believe God and trust God. If you pray for five minutes, great. Do something. 
I pray for about an hour. And I just, I just really start seeking and searching. And, and great. It's just as great as 30 seconds. God doesn't look at the time. He looks at the heart and the commitment. Okay? But see, the reason why I pray for an hour, I pray more, but I have to go do something. So that's why I kind of stop because I, I try to schedule out some things where I can get some things done. So I, I schedule out and I slot out a time. And that's what you need to do. Get up in the morning and say, you know what? I can't get up uh, 30 minutes early. Okay, get up five minutes early. Wake up and pray for a minute. might take you four minutes to wake up, you know, turn on the pot of coffee and, you know, whatever. And just pray for a minute. Just, you know, get it out there. I'll tell you what, God is doing great things. And then what we, we started this uh, series last week, like I said, and um, in the series about reconnecting with God, what we're trying to do is create an atmosphere so we have a face-to-face connection with God. And it's not about just being taught another lesson, and really it's not about counseling. So many people think that if they're taught a, a, a Bible lesson or they go to counseling or they do this stuff that their life changes, but I'll be honest with you, it doesn't. It'll change temporarily because you'll have enough information to change, but you don't have, a, you, you know, and you'll have it explained to you, but the problem is, is you don't have a face-to-face, you don't have a connection. And until you have a face-to-face connection, experience with God, your life truly won't change. It, it, it might change temporarily, but it, it'll be short-lasted. And so God wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you face-to-face. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks with his friend. So he wants to get up close, and he wants to get personal with people, right? I mean, he wants to get so close that you speak to him like your buddy, right? Well, God wasn't born in the 16th century, and either were you, so he's not used to just talking to people in this century in Elizabethan English. Because you talk to your friend, hey, man, how you doing, dude? Good to see you, bro. You know, however you talk. But then when you go to God, oh, thine, thou precious Savior of mine. You don't talk, you don't... I don't walk up to Stacy, though thou my good friendeth. I mean, my goodness, you would look at me like I was a nut. Well, I probably am. But, I mean, this is how God wants to be. So, I'll tell you what, if you talk to your friends in Tennessean, talk to God in Tennessean. Y'all come and visit us sometime, you hear? <laughs> Because we really need y'all in this church. <laughs> and who are you talking to? God and the whole host of heaven. That's Tennessean. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of, you know, I mean, that's how God wants you to talk to him, just like you would talk to a friend, to a buddy. And, you know, when I take a look at face-to-face, it's important to have education, but without presence and power, education is just theory, and it's temporary. See, when it comes to education, there was no one in the Bible more educated than the Apostle Paul. He was trained, if we were going to say in in the United States, he was trained at Harvard for law. See, he knew the law. He knew the Jewish law. He was trained by the best, the greatest teacher on the planet at the time. So he was the most educated man. But he realized that education of the word without power is worthless. 
So many churches give this educational lesson every Sunday morning, but there's no power that comes along with it. There's no real life change that happens. But the message seems good, and it's like, man, that was so good. And we walk out of here, and we're still jacked up. The thing is, is we need to walk out of here and not be jacked up anymore. And we need to take this message to people and help people so they stop being jacked up. I'm talking in you Rick Becker language now. <laughs> Jacked up is messed up for those that don't know. Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. So Paul said, my education is not where it's at. See, Paul was educated enough to persuade people, but that's not how he came. He said, he continues on, it says, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And that's the problem. We're resting so much on men because they went to this college or they went to that seminary or, the, or even if they never went to Bible college, they, they, they came up underneath a certain pastor who was really, really good who taught them. But, but the thing of it is, this is, this is the problem that we're facing, is, is we're not raised under the power of God anymore. We're not experiencing the things of God anymore. We're not having encounters and face-to-face anymore. And that's why people bounce from church to church. Because people are really seeking the truth. If they can't find the truth, they'll go to a church that entertains them. And they just, they'll stay there to be entertained. So what the church has to do is the church has to, we have to realize that, that God wants to have a face-to-face with us. You know, and what I want to get into today is I want to talk about Moses' encounter. I want to get into that one. I want to take a look from his perspective, his encounter. I mean, it was phenomenal. And, you know, when I take a look at his encounter, I mean, I'm just like, wow. I mean, anyway, let's just go there. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, it starts this way. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. That's the priest of strife. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert. And you know what? When I think about the far side of the desert, that's kind of like the church. You know, our, most of our relationship with God is far and dry. It's in a desert, desert place. And so this is what Moses, he was, he was far and dry, you know. I mean, he was far away. And then it continues on, it says, and, he, and came to Horeb, uh, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw uh, that through the bush, or that though, uh, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And I'm going to tell you what, God doesn't always show up in a burning bush. I mean, it would be really cool. As a matter of fact, I don't know any other time he's ever shown up in a burning bush. So, in other words, your experience with God might be different than somebody else's. It's okay. God will show up to you in a very special way. It doesn't have to be like, you know, well, where did that happen in the Bible? Well, I, I've not had anybody in 23 years tell me that, you know, God showed up in a burning bush. I mean, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have looked at him pretty funny. You know, I mean, that's it's weird. Anyway, I'd ask him if they do the chicken dance. Um, so Moses thought, I'll go over there, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. In other words, it's your decision 
to go to God. It's your decision to walk over there. Even though something strange is going on, it's your decision. You need to make the decision to go check it out and see what's going on. So if you see something that's supposed to be spiritual, it's, you need to make the decision whether you need to see if it's God or not. See, God knows where you're at. He knows who you are. He, he knows where you're at on your spiritual journey. And he wants you to search for him. He wants you to go out after him. He wants you to, to, to have this intimacy with him stronger than, than anything else. Because if you put God first, and you're so intimate with God in such a way, I'm going to tell you what, first of all, a lot of people that like you right now won't like you anymore. Because you won't be fake. You won't have to please people. You'll be pleasing God. You'll be, you'll be the nicest person in the world, though. You'll show the greatest love in the world. I'm not saying you're going to be mean. They won't like you because they want you to do other things with them. And you don't want to do that because you want to do good things. Amen? Boy, it's awfully quiet in here. When the Lord saw uh, that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. So God called. Moses responds, right? He said, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the, uh, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. So God brought Moses to a place to have a significant moment with him. And that's what God wants to, you to do. He wants you to come to a place to have a significant moment with him, a holy moment with him. As a pastor, what I'm trying to do is open up opportunities that you can have a significant moment with him. During the time we do worship and, and, and uh, with music and stuff like that, that's an opportunity not to close down and not to go, oh, this person's off key and, and whatever goes on in our mind or will they get this over with and because and you know, we need to get out of here. No, this is a time, an opportunity where we could say, you know what, I want to worship God. My God is able. You know, I mean, just really start focusing on him and, and, and start connecting with him. It's an opportunity to create holy ground right then and there. He goes on to say, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses uh, hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. See, this is where I want us to be, is face to face. I want us to get such, such a close relationship to him that we just, it's, we don't hide from him, but we recognize the things that are in our life that are not right, and we turn it over to him. You know, because he will reveal things in your life that's not right. And, and you shouldn't hide and be scared of him. Oh, no, he's going to strike me dead. No. You should have a godly sorrow in your heart. And then with that godly sorrow, you just let it go to him. Amen? So Moses here was having a conversation with God through a burning bush. And I'm thinking, my goodness. I mean, can you imagine walking up and you see a guy talking to a bush? I'm either going to call Woodridge or I'm just going to go really, really fast and far away from that person because they're just crazy. You know, I mean, that's kind of how you look at it. So Moses came up with four excuses when we take a look at the next set of scriptures. 
And we use these same excuses why we don't get close to God. And here's the first one. It, and you can start filling in your, your notes if you have them. Number one is, who am I? See, Moses figured God bumped his head. God had to be absolutely crazy because with all the problems you know, Moses, that Moses had, he figured, you know what, he, he wasn't worthy. He couldn't be used by God. Moses was in exile at the time. He was a murderer, and he had all kinds of other issues in his life. So in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 11, verse 11 and 12, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. See, Moses didn't think he was worthy. And so, who am I? I'm not worthy to do that. But God said, don't worry about you being worthy. I got your back. I'm going to be with you. And that's the thing is, don't worry about stuff. Don't, don't oh man, you know, I can't do that because, you know, who am I to do that? Listen, you're a child of God. You are worthy enough to him that Jesus paid for you with his life. Anyway. So we're not supposed to do this based upon our worth. We're supposed to do it based upon his. Because, yes, I am the righteousness of God, but not based upon me. In Christ. Righteousness of God in Christ. So my worthiness doesn't come from me. It comes from who I'm identified with in Jesus. Amen? Okay. And actually what that does is it takes the pressure off of us from having to be good enough. So you don't focus on who you are. You focus on who he is. You don't focus on what you've done. You focus on what he did. And you start focusing on that, and then all of a sudden you can do some things. The, it goes on to say, and this will be the sign to you uh, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And I'm going to tell you what. God's going to tell you to do some things, and you're going to doubt it's God. You're going to have these voices. Oh, no, you know, I can't do it. I, you know, this, I'm this and that, and you, you, you don't know what I did yesterday. You know, the thoughts that I've had, that all these voices are going to try to hinder you, try to, try to stop you. And the next thing you have to figure out is you have to overcome some things. And you can write this down because it's in your notes. Overcome condemnation. See, God never brings condemnation. He brings conviction. And there is a huge difference between the two. In condemnation, you feel guilty. In conviction, you recognize you did something wrong. You, you come to God and say, God, I agree with you. I need your help in this area of my life. In condemnation, you run and you hide because you're scared. In conviction, you go to God with an open heart and you say, here I am. Send me. Fix me. You overcome condemnation. God does not use condemnation because the Bible says in John 3.17 that he did not come to condemn the world, but he came so that the world would be saved. So he didn't come in condemnation. He came in love. Our approach to God has to be done in love. Our approach to God has to be done not in who we are, but in who he is. See, when I approach God, I don't approach God saying I'm some unworthy. I, God, thank you for your righteousness. 
Thank you, I'm not the person that I was. That old man is dead. And I've come alive in you. And you know, even though the whole world might not be able to see it right now, they're starting to see it because every day I'm getting better. Every day I'm changing. Every day I'm transforming and I'm becoming more like you. I might slip every once in a while, but you know what? A righteous man, your word says, gets right back up. And God, when I slip, I just get right back up. And I do not walk under condemnation. I just get back up, I dust off, and I keep going forward. Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, But, uh, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. So He saved you because He loves you. Not because of anything you've done. So we can come to Him based upon that. So that was the first obstacle. The second obstacle he had, number two, is who are you? Exodus three thirteen through 14 says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So in other words, when I take a look at this, God was saying, I am the answer for every situation in your life. I encompass all things. It goes on to say, this is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am, uh, has sent me to you. So he was saying that everything that you need has sent me to you. I am your deliverer. I am your strength, I am your high tower, I am your fortress. I am your prosperity, I am your health. I am the sustainer of your life. I am the one to to prosper you and bless you and give you success in all areas. That's who I am, said. I am. So what do you have to do in this situation? You have to overcome another thing. It's on your paper, you have to overcome doubt. See, It's really hard to believe in our natural minds that there's nothing impossible for God. Even though we quote it and say it. Because we think, oh, well, you know, that'll happen to Josh. You know, Josh is a good, godly person, but it's impossible for me because look what I've done or I've never seen it before. And I never. So what we do is we use all these excuses and we have a hard time overcoming doubt in these voices. And I don't care if you've fallen down for 40, 50, 60 years in your life. If you keep on getting up and you one day and you start overcoming doubt, you're going to see some great victories day after day after day after day after day. But don't doubt God. Jeremiah 32.17, in the New American Standard Bible, it says this, All Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Man, you need to write that down. Nothing is too difficult for you. So what you have to do to encounter God, you have to believe that, that he's, he's a great God. That he's bigger than all your problems, he's bigger than all your fears, he's bigger than any mountain, he's bigger than anything that that you can see, he's bigger than anything that you can't see. Now that's the lyrics to a song. Some of you older people, been around for a while, might know Roger McDuff. 
Bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than any question, bigger than unbelief. God, yeah, anyway. So, you know, that just fit really good in this message. So the next thing that excuse that Moses had was number three. What if they? Hmm. Now this one really jacks people up. Exodus 4.1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So he was saying this, God... What if they don't believe that I was talking to the bush and the bush talked back? I mean, what if I came up here today and say, you know what, guys, listen. I was walking out to the car, and one of my bushes started talking to me. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, it doesn't matter how much you know me. You're going to laugh. You're going to wait for the punchline. But if you see there's no punchline, here comes Woodridge. You know, I mean, anyway, so Moses had to overcome something else. He had to overcome fear. See, we're too concerned about what people think. And we're not concerned enough about what God thinks. And this is a, bar a barrier all Christians have. See, when I take a look at this, we can sing, we can shout, we can clap at a football game. But it, when it comes to church... It's a whole nother animal. It's just something completely different. We just don't do it. We do. But when I look at the books of, book of Psalms, and I wrote it in my notes exactly like this, it's like being at a Vols game as they are whipping Alabama Crimson Tide, the Florida Gators, or the Georgia Bulldogs. That's what we're, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Amen. Did you hear that? I mean, that is what a worship is. Wow! Glory to Jesus! You know, that's what a worship service is supposed to be like. But when I, you know, that's when I look at the book of Psalms. But when I look at the book of the congregation, gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, you know what I'm saying? We have hee-haw worship. God wants us to be excited about what, I mean, we should be excited that he saved us. We should be the happiest people on earth. Disneyland shouldn't be the happiest place church should. What are you going to do when you win the football game? I'm going to thrive. I mean, if that was on the commercials, woo! Why? Because we have face-to-face. -face. We're connected to God. We overcome our fears. And that's what needs to happen here. Amen? Um, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Romans 1.16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. Man, that's the exciting news right there. The gospel, the good news is the power. And you know what? When we go like this, there's no good news in that. I mean, nobody wants to look like... You go around, even if you're looking like that, you don't want to look like that when you see somebody looking like you. 
You just don't realize you're looking like that because you're looking at everybody else. Oh, man, did you see them? And your spouse is going, did you see you? You know. Anyway. So Moses had another excuse. Number four. I have never. So what I'm getting at is encounters with God. You've got to do something you've never done before. Everybody stand up. We're not done. Stand up. Okay. We're going to practice something. This is something maybe you've never done before. Yeah, 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 you know what we're doing. Yeah, you guys in my small group, we've been there. Okay, listen, listen, listen. Let's say I'm moving someplace and I need your help. I'm going to hand you a TV. So what do you have to do? You have to hold the TV. So the first thing you're doing is you're holding the TV. Then one day you decide to go fishing, so you have to tell everybody how big your fish is. Then the Vols win the football game. Touchdown! <laughs> Woo! See, you might start off by just holding the TV for a few services. Ah, uh, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high. You know, I mean, just work your way up. But you think, hold the TV. How big is your fish? Touchdown. And if you can do that, all of a sudden you'll be doing something different and you'll start seeing God do something different in your life because if you dare to do something different, God will dare to show up. All right, sit down, sit down, sit down. That's good stuff, right? I mean, we've started off like, oh, you know. You know, now we're like, we're so happy, happy, happy. You know, where's Pharrell when you, you know, anyway. Um, so... Um, in Exodus 4, 10 through 12, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been so eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow to speech and tongue. So Moses said, God, you picked the wrong guy if you want somebody to speak. God, you picked the wrong person if you want somebody to hold the TV. God, now I might want to do big fish because i got a couple people on my right and left who've been bothering me. <laughs> and I'll get so happy when I smack them upside the head, it's a touchdown. <laughs> okay? So Moses had to overcome something else. He had to overcome reluctance. If you know what you're supposed to do and you just don't do it, you're reluctant. It needs to be overcome. If you know, and maybe God has said something to you, but you said, I'm not going to do it, like a small group, you're reluctant. You don't have to be elegant in speech. You don't have to have all the wisdom of the word. You just have to be willing and available to be used by God. And when you're willing and available to be used by God, and you know what? If you start a small group and you just have two people beside yourself, woohoo, touchdown! Because if you have a small group and it's just yourself, that's a bummer. <laughs> but if you have three people, You've got the Trinity. 
and three will multiply or add or however it goes up. Because if you guys are touching and getting in tune with each other and relationships and things like that, then other people will want to be a part of that. Amen? <clears throat> Hebrews 11.6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So in other words, God really, really, really likes it when you start moving towards the burning bush. I mean, he really, really likes it. When you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And I'll, and I'll just say, the Bible says he's a rewarder of, 